0: So we're just getting Dion, sort of his last food before his race in a few hours. You know, we're coming out of the shop in Panamount Springs, where we're staying. And you see this giant, it almost looked like a forest fire, this cloud going through Death Valley. And I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, it turns out it was a giant dust storm. Yeah, as I'm going into the hotel, coming out, Bob Becker, sort of the legend at this point, the founder of the Keys 100. He's done tons of races. His background within the sport and his ability to cultivate a community in, in South Florida and many other places is um, world renowned at this point. Comes out of the hotel and I see him, like game face on. He's looking for his crew. He said his crew went to go get the car. I'm like, Bob. You have one minute to uh, capture this moment on film. This is what we captured.
1: I'm Bob Becker. I'm uh, from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I'm running this race for the fourth time. And if I get real lucky and finish this ton of a gun today, uh, I'll be actually be the oldest finisher in the race history. So that's kind of my goal to finish it and uh, see if I can get my name uh, in the record books being the old guy. Uh, I've got a great crew. Um, I've crewed myself out here many, many times. I love the race. and. I'm very glad to be back. I think it's gonna be an unusual weather experience, but then it's always an unusual <laughs> weather experience out here. Yeah, closing our eyes because of all the dust whipping around right now. The oldest finisher now was 75. He did it about 10 years ago and you still had 60 hours to finish the race. And uh, now of course it's 48. So it'll be interesting to see uh, see if it can happen. I'm 76, so that's uh, just a year older than Jack when he finished his about well, roughly 10 years
0: ago. I mean, I'm, I'm excited for you. And, oh, thank uh, you. Hopefully, as weather cooperates. What did you think of that?
1: It's uh, the weather's storm. pretty nutty. Uh, well, there's a dust storm right now, but that's you know we have those. The thing that's unusual is the rain that's been in Lone Pine most of the day, um, and uh, the higher than normal humidity, which is a fact, which can be a factor in a race like this. So, the offset is it's not as hot as it sometimes is, yep. which is a great thing. So we'll see. Uh, if the wind dies down, that'll be really helpful though because it's pretty strong right now and it's blowing right in the, right in our faces, basically,
0: as we work our way up 190, so. If we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire, the possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. Great cars. Oh, thanks. I just that, out, man, so if you do, you do it, man. For all you kids out there, stay safe and stay strong. Hey everyone, it's the Training for Ultra podcast. Scott Jurek here. I was physically
2: totally wrecked. I I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? Decided if I could, you know, finish a 50 miler. I could probably run across the country. 100 miles is not that far. Welcome, everyone, to Training for Ultra. My name is Andrea Coyman, and I'm one of the guest hosts tonight, along with Rob, as we welcome Bob Becker this evening. Bob is an ultra running icon, he's a race director, and he is going to share all of his wisdom and knowledge about the ultra community with us tonight.
0: Hope you guys enjoy this episode, but first, let's uh, thank the sponsors. I'm Ethan Wayne, director of the John Wayne Cancer Foundation. And I'm Molly, the race director for the John Wayne Grit Series.
2: My father, John Wayne, asked my family and I to use his name to help find a cure for cancer. So we started the Grit Series. It's a series of 5Ks, 10Ks, and half marathons that take place in the most beautiful and rugged landscapes across the Southwest including places where John Wayne shot some of his most famous movies. That's right. And all the race proceeds go towards cancer research and prevention programs.
0: We're asking you to join us and bring your courage,
2: strength, and grit to the fight against cancer. For more information on a race near you, visit us at johnwayne.org. That's johnwayne.org. Stay dusty.
0: Also, a big thank you to Tannery Outdoors. If you're interested, use uh, the promo code ULTRA10 for 10% off. But this is just a great company. You know, it's designed for runners by runners. Uh, The founder is an ultra runner. And it's an all-natural mineral-based product, which in this era of of sunscreen recalls and everything taking place there, it's just comforting knowing um, this is is a, a good, honest company and Um, It it cares about the ultra running community. It cares about the trails and in the national parks and state parks. I think 1% of their sales goes back into the park systems and they, they definitely support, you know, some really great ultra runners and ultra running podcasts. Thank you to Exoskin. Definitely check them out. T the number four U20 for, I think it's 15% off at this point. It ranges throughout time, but they have new colored toe socks. And, you know, I'm a sucker for toe socks. I, I absolutely love those. Definitely throwing on the toe socks. Their calf sleeves are great. They now have underwear and compression tops. And I, I really am a big fan of almost all their products. I use them during all my races. So
2: Welcome, Bob.
1: Thanks, you. Thanks, Andrew. This is going to be a very short interview, but uh, thank you. I'm very, very
0: glad to be here. <laughs>
2: Rob and I have some questions for you. So regardless of what you think, it's definitely going to be a long interview.
0: (laughs) So for background, Bob, the genesis of this episode was Andrea and I at the finishers. I think it was the after party at Badwater 135 looked at a bar full of probably some of the best athletes in the whole world.
2: That's right. And
0: we had this idea. Let's pick one person to interview together. She could come co-host and guess who we saw? Guess who we picked?
2: We picked we picked you, Bob.
0: Yes.
1: Wow, that's incredible. So, so you're hey, true, drinking true. Has all kinds of advantages. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know the thing is is that when you look through the athletes that were there at the at the after party, um the wealth of knowledge in that room was just incredible and the stories that we knew people could tell, but I feel like Bob, you come at, come from so many different angles, being not only, you know, an ultra runner in your own right, very well accomplished ultra runner, but also a race director. Um, I think f- for anybody, no matter what part of the journey they are in, in their ultra running, you could shed some light or some insight for all of us. Do my best. <laughs> <laughs> So, Bob, looking at Ultra Sign Up, because, you know, I was trying to do a little bit of, I know you personally, but then just trying to get a feel for, you know, how long you've been ultra running. I did see on Ultra Sign Up that you had events, ultra events, dating all the way back to 1998. But when did you run your first ultra?
1: Yeah, I, I, you may have been looking at a different Becker. Um,
2: actually, no, I, I had to look for Robert Becker because Bob Becker is not you on there.
1: That's true. But I think there's <laughs> another one on there. Actually, Andrew, my first <laughs> actual ultra was Marathon de Sables in
2: 2005. Wow! No yeah, so,
1: kidding. You know, jumped in with both feet. So yeah, I don't go back to the 90s. I'm kind of a late starter. I was that. Th- that's how I celebrated my 60th birthday. Okay. Um, And there's a story, of course, about how that all happened, um, including looking up the word ultramarathon the year before to figure out what the heck it was. But um, yeah, no, that was actually my first ultra.
2: That's incredible. So for people that are out there listening that are, you know, half marathoners, marathoners, maybe just thinking about their first 5K and they're thinking, oh, I could never do an ultra. Your first was when you were 60.
1: That's right. Yeah, it was... um, I I ran the mile in high school, and I but I really played sports my whole adult life. I didn't really run races and went to the gym, and played racquetball and ran a little bit to stay in shape. Um, but I live in Florida. I moved here 20 years ago. Immediately before that, I spent almost five years in Minneapolis and made some friends. And in 2002, one of them called me and said, hey, we're going to run a marathon. Grandma's up in Duluth. Why don't you come join us? And I'd only been away from there for a little, less than two years. I thought, great excuse to see my buddies and great excuse for a party, right? So I literally went out to a running shoe store and bought a pair of running shoes and it's said incredible. to the people in the store, What do I do now? And they said, Well, join this <laughs> marathon group and they gave me a guy's name and so I did and I you know, I was gonna go to grandma's do it one and done and but I ran well. I qualified for Boston. I thought, Well, I gotta do that. So I wound up training after that, four Boston with a pretty good group down here, and one of them in 2004 said, J.B. here the marathon song, and it's an ultra marathon, and I said, what's that? And I went home and checked it out. Anyway, 2005, this guy was turning 40, and I was turning 60, and in the next week, I said to him, okay, I know what this is. It's a race in, in, in Morocco. It's in the Sahara Desert. It's 100 and almost 60 miles uh, why don't we do this to celebrate our birthday and that's that's how it happened i mean you know it's just no real plan. so do you
2: want to give up the name of this person that's to blame for this uh yeah, yeah
1: i blame him completely jared knapp and jared uh jared actually started as my co-race director when we started keys 100 but that's a different story so yeah i mean I, and i just completely fell in love with the sport uh, everything about it the camaraderie the experience living in a stinky tent for a week the whole thing out there and um yeah, uh, I was hooked. So, but that was my first ultra.
2: Isn't that amazing? How the suffering is really what brought you in. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think yeah, it's no amazing. Real- it, it's one of the few sports where someone who's forty, someone who's sixty, can become like best friends. All, equals Bob, you might have beat the forty-year-old gentleman. Like it, it, really. It goes across ages and geographies and everything. Really.
2: It's a universal Absolutely.
0: sport, you know? It really does. It's the beauty of the sport. Somebody asked me the other day, you know, um, how
1: many of my friends are in my own age range? And my friends are mostly my running friends. So nobody, or, you know, very, <laughs> very, few, very few people, you know. Most of my friends are 10, 15, 20 years younger, like Jared. And, um, yeah, it's just, a, and, you know, anybody can do this stuff. And it's really true. There's no age limit.
2: No, it's, it's the one place, being a female athlete. You know, I feel like it's the one place when I line up at the start line of any race, I've always felt like an equal. You know, there have been other sports I've played in my lifetime or places that I've, that I've been, and, and I never felt like I was completely on the same playing field. And you can see that time and time again with race results that, you know, female athletes are winning these outright. You know, you, you never know somebody's age, you know, what they're going to do or accomplish out there. And and, and I love that, that it's, it's the ultimate equalizer, yeah, you know. totally true. Absolutely yeah. And, and in fact, I would have to say that the older you get, the better you get at this sport, because I feel like as we grow older, we do get better at suffering.
1: Yeah. Well, there's that. And uh, so much of this is a mental <laughs> game, too. And so that's a big part of it. Yeah. You know, you look like look. you, you were mentioning uh, before we get on the air here, you were talking about running bigs, uh, not bigs, but running a uh, Barclays. And you know, one of his other races, of course, is Big's Backyard, and Maggie Goodall run won that thing overall last year, two years ago, last year, right? And uh, so, yeah, perfect example of women can t- completely compete on an equal playing field in the sport, which is which is great.
2: Now, when you were first introduced to the idea, accidentally of ultra, and then you ended up running, you know, for your 60th birthday, your your first ultra. Did you ever dream or think that you would eventually be, years later, you know, a race director and now essentially, you know, filling people full of the the Gatorade, so to speak, of (laughs) (laughs) ultra running juice?
0: Better
1: than (laughs) Kool-Aid. Right? Yeah. No, no. I mean, absolutely not. I mean, everything was completely circumstantial. And, um, you know, in in 07, I really didn't run my – long story, but uh, I had – I fractured my femur, actually, towards the end of Marathon to Saab, and uh, so I had some recovery time. I wound up the following year developing prostate cancer. I had to deal with that, and all the recoveries. Anyway, I wound up not doing my first 100 until uh, it was 2007, Rocky Raccoon, in February, and I came home. I had done a 50-miler out in the Tetons before that, but I came home from that, and I said, you know, we really ought to have some ultras in Florida. There are very, very few, and there's nothing in South Florida. So I actually hooked up with Jared again and some other friends and said, I wonder if the Keys could be a venue for a race. And we went down to the Keys and we stayed at the Marriott, which is at mile marker 104. And we get up on a Saturday morning. There were five of us and we ran 104 miles to Key West. And we thought, hey, you know, this could, could work, you know? Wow. So That's kind of how, and then the next year the, the race began. But my, my point is that, I never thought that was going to happen. It was like just a thought out of the blue. Why don't we see? And we had no idea what we were getting into, of course. And in 2008, the, uh, the, you know, the economy crashed, the real estate market crashed. And without going into detail, you know, my, my employment and financial world kind of crashed too. And I decided, okay, I'm going to see if this race directing stuff can... I mean, I love it. I love, what, I love doing it. I love what I had learned and loving the sport. I thought maybe, maybe this, there's something there. So I took a vow of poverty, and I said, "Okay, I'm going to start doing this stuff." And my sport came my hobby, became my sport, and vice versa. And that's what I've been doing since then, yeah, full time. And, and
2: so you ditched yeah. your prior career just by default because it circumstantial, I just decided, right?
1: I don't. I'm enough. I don't. I want to do something different, and I want to do something where people really want to come out, and uh, where I know the 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 challenge, but the joy that it can be as well. And uh, more people have to find out about this sport and experience what I've experienced and, and it's been great I mean it really has been and, and so yeah no absolutely no plan whatsoever I just kind of fell in my lap and so, you know, I, so I go to as many races as I can each year not as many as I used to now but yeah I uh, love I still absolutely still love the challenge as much as I did the first one and the camaraderie and now of course all the friends you see when you when you go out to a race Uh, you know, as we saw each other at Badwater this year, you know, it's just great once or twice a year, you see your old friends and it's just great to catch up. So yeah, it's a great sport. I
0: got, I got to, uh, see you right before leaving, you were leaving for the start line and there was that giant, like sandstorm that blew through. And I was like, Bob, do you have two minutes because you're not stressed out already enough? (laughs) Like, You have two minutes to uh, do some film work, and you were so generous, uh, and you, you know, we we chatted Um, (laughs) mid-sandstorm. It was brutal, yeah. (laughs) Um, So, when you started race directing full-time, how did that affect your running? Did you go overboard and get, like, injured again because you were... Your life became running, and so you overtrained. Or tell me about how that balance worked out once you went full time race directing.
1: Well, I had the good ex- the good fortune at uh, at Marathon de Saab of meeting Jay and Lisa Smith Batchin. and Lisa wound up becoming my coach. In fact, before going to MDS Marathon de Saab, I went to a training camp of hers out in the Tetons, and. Lisa became my coach, and every major race I've ever done, she's always coached me. And one of the beauties of her approach, she's always had me ready on race day, is not to overtrain. You know, the, okay. the first rule is don't injure yourself, because if you do, you're not going to show up at the start line. So, right. I mean, yeah. and so, and she believes not just in high mileage, and she also is very good at age-appropriate training schedules, right, and and regimens. So, I credit her a, a lot with. Not getting me injured over the years, and other, other than a couple of bouts with plantar fasciitis and that kind of stuff, uh, I've never really been injured after that initial fractured femur. Um, and so, no, there really wasn't any specific interference, um, uh, with the time and focus on races that I was creating as well as training for other races as races I was actually running. So, yeah, no, that never became a conflict at all. In fact, I found that's it really quite interesting actually
0: that's actually quite amazing do you still you you live in south florida i assume
1: yeah i live in fort lauderdale yes
0: okay so you're hitting a lot of pavement most of the time is that correct for that's your right training? Yeah.
1: so there's very very few trails down here and they're not closed. so yes
0: they become um, marshes pretty quickly it just takes one storm and that whole yeah. system if there was a trail it could change vastly correct
1: well yeah i mean i one of my races that i put on for nine years um was actually in the Everglades. It's a 50-miler, 50k, 25k. Fabulous, unique, beautiful place in the Everglades, but there's only a certain small margin of time during the year when it's dry enough and mosquito-free enough where you can actually have that risk right?
2: Mosquito-free enough. Yeah. And that I mean in it's great, but it's that's
1: an hour and a half from here. It's not around the corner. Wow. Um so about the closest thing I can come to uh, not running on roads is running on the beach, which I'm actually doing right now to pre- prepare for bad water salt uh, excuse me bad water cape fear where you're doing yeah but that
2: makes perfect it. sense bob you want to be yeah. running on the sand for that one geez yeah
1: so but but that's about it you know i do my we were talking before about Leadville. i don't want to do hill training i run up and down and across a bridge that at its highest point is 75 feet above sea level you know there's just you it's don't a have a lot of trails reuse. and you don't have any hills so you improvise that's all and are you I love still working with beach, Lisa honestly. as
2: your as your coach now, yeah, even up yeah, to this last Badwater? Yes, I am. She was yeah. one of my very first, you know, like female iconic role models that I followed. You know, as you know, as a female that was looking to do Badwater, I mean, who who wouldn't look at her as, you know, just the pillar of strength? That's so absolutely. cool. And I love to hear what you said about her training, that she puts together you know, like age appropriate training for you, because that is one thing that's so key when you are looking to hire a coach, which I fully advocate, um, you know, is making sure that they are in tune to what you need, because there is not a one size fits all training.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And no, not every coach is going to be a good fit with every runner, but uh, she has been incredibly great with me and um, many other of my friends who have, I've referred to her. Uh, I, I like you. She's she couldn't be a more iconic figure. She's one. In fact, she's one MDS. She's one bad water. She's a. She's a, she's amazing. So yeah, no, I have complete faith and confidence in her ability to, again, get me to the start line and get me and have me ready.
2: So what huh? do you have next on the horizon for for your racing?
1: Well, October second is Badwater Cape Fear, which is a race in North Carolina on Bald Head Island that is a spectacular venue. It's an interesting race that you're probably familiar with it. Uh, is uh, about a little over 50 miles, but it's the first 10 miles are on the are on the roads in this little developed part of the island. and the rest the other the next 40 miles is out on the beach. two, uh, two back and forth routes or, or loops going going out and back. Um, I've run the race every year, I really love it. And then in November, uh, there's another bad water race, Salton Sea, which I know you've done.
2: Uh, I've actually done Cape Fear as well, twice.
1: All right, well, so there you go. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and so you know the race is very well. So we're going to go back to salt and sea which usually I can't run because it happens a week or two before the Keys race. Right. It's just right. But because of COVID, the race had to be moved to November. So I'm going to go out with a couple of good friends of mine with whom I've, I ran Brazil 135, and we're going to go out and just enjoy the that 81-mile race. And, uh, you
2: know, for yeah. for people that don't know what salt and sea is... Especially those that want to run Badwater 135, I would love for you to explain Salt and Sea in a little bit more detail because I think that the the whole surrounding part of that race is really intriguing. People would love. Yeah, to hear about it.
1: I, I agree. It's it's like a mini 135 Badwater 135, I and mean, it's it's a. I totally recommend that race to, for somebody who might want to eventually run Badwater 135. So. It's 81 miles, not 135 miles, but like at 135, you're starting below sea level, in this case at Salton Sea, which is a large inland lake in eastern San Diego County, and the funkiest, craziest place you ever saw. It smells Uh, so bad. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Google (laughs) it, and uh, you won't believe what you find. But uh, anyway, you start there, and um, you're on the road. Uh, It's a road race, except for about seven or eight miles where you actually run off-road through this little... Would it not, well, somewhat deserty kind of off-road hilly area um, and then the race finishes the last 12 miles if i'm not mistaken is uphill uh, at, uh and it finishes on the top of mount palomar where this historic uh, telescope is located um so you're starting below sea level it's a road race and the last 12 miles of it uh is is going up a steep hill like it is at badwater where the last Thirteen miles is going up, uphill. Well, so, and
2: and in the middle, though, you are still running through the desert. I mean, you're running. yes There could be the sandstorms, just similar to your right. bad water, Rob. You were talking about the sandstorms when those blow through. It could be extremely hot. It'll be interesting to see what kind of weather you have in November. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're for right. For that race.
1: Right. And yeah, and also it's the, it's very unique in this other aspect, which is it's actually a team race but it's not a relay where one person goes at a time. You run together and you must stay together the whole time. And there are two-person teams and three-person teams. And psychologically, that's a very interesting thing because I know my very first time, I ran with a couple of much younger and much faster guys. And you know, I remember a few points where I wanted to take a break and take a walk and they weren't ready and I had to push. And I did, I pushed myself to stay with them. And uh, it was very interesting how that, how that how the psychology works in that race. But yeah, I, I absolutely recommend it. And it's a small race, so that doesn't—it isn't able to accommodate a whole lot of runners. So next year, I think it returns to late April or early May. So if you're not coming to the Keys, check it out and register early and go run Badwater Salt and Sea. You'll love it. It's an amazing experience. I'm
0: I'm going to the Keys, so great.
1: Well,
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, yeah, the the Salt and Sea that race. I mean, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And I think, I think even as someone that's a Badwater 135 hopeful, running that race, just the mental games it plays on you in not wanting to let your team down, because even when you're running Badwater 135, even though you are the main runner, there is this pressure that, that you feel when you're running it that you don't want to let your team down. You don't want them to have to wait on you any longer than they have to, you don't you know, and so I think when you're in that environment, it, it kind of trains you ahead for what you might be going through as a runner in the 135 later down the line. You I know, love I that thought race. of it
1: that way, but I, I, totally think, I totally agree with you. You said your team, of course, is your support crew that you, right. you have at 130. Well, you have a support crew at Salton Sea as well, where they leap one or more people leapfrog you in the team vehicle uh, so that you can meet up and get water and food and all the other stuff. So that's another way that's very, very similar to Badwater and good practice for Badwater 135 because you're working with a crew, which, by the way, Rob, you'd be doing in Keys as well. It's set up very similarly.
0: That's the logic, if I get in. Um I, I I really wanted to do that race. Bob, I don't know if you remember exchanging emails. I wanted to do the race, and I had a newborn son that was like, due. Within a week of the race itself, so uh, I've been wanting to do your race long before being stupid enough to want to do Badwater. Just so you're <laughs> aware. Um, but uh, I, uh, on that note, how many Badwater 135 finishes are there on this call? Because I have zero.
2: Yeah, Bob. I how many th- do you have?
0: I have three finishes and uh, okay, I wow. it this year.
1: And
0: you I have, have three points. finishes as
2: well. So you, you have do. six. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. But I'd like to I'd like to go back. It's one of those things that um there's something very special about that race. You bet. Yeah. There is just I mean there's there's multiple races I've done. Um some that I think, "Oh yeah, you know, I'd like to do that better, but I don't feel this yearning to go back." Um and I don't feel like I've had the race of my life yet at Badwater. I don't know that I don't know that you ever do. I you know, Bob, I but Dion
0: Leonard by def.
2: That that's yeah. true. He went right out, you know, <laughs> right out the gate.
0: Sure but did. you know,
2: it's, it's the good. ultimate summer summer camp for ultra runners. I feel like, you know, like Bob walking into um Jake's saloon after and Rob, I mean, I know you felt that, you know, you walk in and there is this um this brotherhood that's felt there. It's it is just yeah. I love tell it. You,
1: I I totally agree. This this is my 14th year in a row there. So I've run, what? I've crewed every other year when I haven't been running wow. and I've crewed everybody from rookies to Marshall. I mean, Marshall Ulrich. I mean, it. I don't want to miss the race. And that's exactly the kind of that culture, that family thing you're talking about. I totally get it. Um, this year I had, uh, I, you know, I managed my hydration and electrolyte intake very poorly and wound up with severe cramps at mile 44. And that's when I dropped because I missed the cutoff. So I came home and I wasn't sure what I was going to do and my wife actually said to me, you know next year's twenty twenty two and you're gonna be seventy seven you've got to go back because you have a built-in slogan seventy seven and twenty two so uh, if I'm still, <laughs> still on this side of the grass and healthy and I can get in I'm going to try to run it again and and I'd become the oldest finisher if I did if, you know if I'm able to complete it so so yeah um I've uh, got to seek my revenge out there, but I'd be out there anyway, Andrea, in one form or another, because I just you know just love the race, that's all.
2: Right. Rob, was this your first time crewing it?
0: First time, yeah. We were a, a group of rookies, so... Uh, I'll, sh- I'll and, <laughs> and I decided to try to throw in filming the whole thing, too. So, uh, there were points where I was questioning a lot of decisions that were made. Um, like, literally i not literally but shit hit the fan uh after our crew captain had almost like a heat exhaustion moment and so it was interesting to see the team fall apart but then pick up the slack for the other team members until they got back and then eventually like the whole team just worked the way a team is supposed to actually function like you hear corporate guys talking team stuff well put them all in a car and have them prove yes. and pace that like if you want to be a, a team expert for like corporations and stuff that's a real real test that's it's not quite warfare but it's like it's it could be life or death uh, oh, in some absolutely. circumstances Great. so
2: yeah. you know um, and, and i was Rob, like you said you're it. Your experience with the hydration, I mean, you can be so well-trained. You can have, you know, the, the greatest resume as you do, you know, an accomplished runner. And, I mean, anything can happen in a 100-mile race, but, but Badwater, the elements are so extreme that when things go wrong, it happens so rapidly. Not, not just for runner, but, Rob, like you said, with the crew, and, and when one person on the crew goes down, I mean, that affects the entire dynamic of the race for everyone, and you just hope your runner doesn't find out. You know, you try to keep your runner out of it, you know. Bob, what when you've been crewing, what has been one of the most devastating things you've seen out there?
1: Uh, fortunately, it only happened once. But we had somebody uh, on the crew who, um, who kind of decided she had to take over uh, and became very aggressive. Uh, it was back in the day when you had a crew of six and two vehicles and you could have basically two groups of three crewing you. Yes, Instead I remember 10, that. We have one vehicle up to four and they're out there the entire time. And the way we used to do it is basically you'd, the crew of three would be on for 12 hours um, and the other group would be able to go get some sleep, take a shower, get some real food, come back out 12 hours later, refreshed, and the three who were finishing up would go do the same. That, that not everybody did that, but that's how we used to do it, and it worked very well. This person absolutely refused to leave, and became a, became a big problem. Okay, now we didn't let the runner know, as you're saying, because you know you want to keep the runner as stress free as possible. But that stuff should never happen. And again, fortunately, that's the only time that ever happened. But um, yeah, I mean, that's uh, I would say that was the one the one time that. Was truly regretful and just was really
0: unfortunate. I mean, not to overshare my one experience because you guys have had so many, but sitting with the crew captain in the chair that's for Dion and it's Lucia, his wife, and she's throwing up, and I'm just like, oh, this—it's supposed to be the runner that's thrown up, like, uh. This isn't going well. And then we try to hide it from Dion. And Dion's like, why is my wife not encouraging me and just staying in the van? And we're just like, oh, she has stomach cramps or whatever. Like, it was hard to keep a poker face so that it didn't affect his race. And thankfully, she got her electrolytes back in balance and came back to life. But there for one of the stops, it was it was pretty... Pretty scary for up. everyone. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm sure. Well, that's one of the first. The first rule of crewing is you don't want to become the problem, and that's exactly yeah, that's what we're right. talking about. Crew has to take care of themselves. They have to rest. They have to eat. They, they they have to do all the stuff the runner's doing. Maybe not run so much unless they're pacing. But yeah. And there's an example where it didn't happen, and it could have been a real disaster. So, yeah, if you those of you who listening who might ever crew, um, first rule: take care of yourself so that you can take care of your mother
0: absolutely she had only done four miles but it was 121 out the lowest flattest hottest section so
2: yeah you just you just never know how it's going to affect you and i tell people too you know you're so used to crewing or pacing and going out and doing these larger blocks right like you might pace and go out and do 15 20 30 miles that is not bad water pacing, you absolutely. know? Right. Don't. And I've told people straight up, I've said, don't be a hero. Yep. Two miles at a time. Like, two miles at a time is plenty. Don't be a hero. Everyone will get a chance. And really, it, it's not your job to try to get your miles in yeah, at bad still. water. You know, yeah, like, absolutely. you are there 100% to make sure that that runner safely travels across the desert.
0: So wow. could I... Can I ask you guys, because you have so much experience at Badwater, and I want to hear the Keys, 100 included here. What's the craziest wildlife you've seen at Badwater or the Keys? Because I think we might have saw one rabbit at Badwater, maybe. Um, do you guys see any wildlife out there? Because yeah. Google search it and there's stuff out there, but I personally didn't see anything.
2: I've seen snakes. Um, and, uh, coyote and it's, and coyote. it's, and it's trippy. Yeah. Like I've seen coyote going up father Crowley and they're oh. just like watching you just, they just kind of look out and then bats, you know, once you get closer to, um, you know, into Lone Pine and start up the Whitney portal. Oh, well actually and bats, um, bats Perfect. your panamint, tons
0: Her- of bats. Her face right now, for Ugh. the listeners, doesn't look pretty. It's, yeah. Bats are not. I, I, she's she <laughs> has a bad memory with bats. <laughs> everywhere. Well, yeah. I I think I may
1: be able to top you with this one because it was the most crazy, unexpected thing I've ever seen. One year we were climbing up Town Pass, so that's you start at about forty-two miles into the race, climbing up Town Pass, and a skunk crossed the road.
2: What? <laughs>
1: How how do the skunks survive out here? Is insane. So I figure if they're rabbits, I guess they're skunks. But it was It was crazy. And and uh, a few years ago, I think it was two thousand fifteen. Yeah, because I ran that year. I was being before the race. We were in Furnace Creek, and I was actually being interviewed by a TV crew from uh, BBC who was filming the race, and they interviewed a few runners. And we're sitting uh, over near the golf course, and um, I see this coyote run run by and shortly after the coyote came by a roadrunner came by i swear stop
2: it, was it. In reverse. <laughs> i swear it in was that order in
1: reverse order the coyote was first and then <laughs> i mean it's you know you know you just don't know you don't know what you're gonna see it's it's just it's a, it's a beautiful totally Wild and scary place it just it's I, I, yeah, I love the desert
0: i've I've heard rumors of the keys one hundred of eyes looking back at you. <laughs> um, is that a true rumor, or is that just I've up? heard
2: about this too, Bob.
1: I I think you're mixing that up with my Everglades race, in which case that would be true. But
0: uh, those are different well, eyes. But yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Now, you know, mostly in Key, but you're you're running, you're really running across 42 islands, so you see a lot of water on both sides. And um, a great example is Seven Mile Bridge, which is seven miles in length. And you're looking down at this turquoise water, and people have seen. Um, manatees and big huge skates and uh, all kinds, of sharks and all kinds of, of sea life. Wow. Um, and in big pine key, which is 50 kilometers from the finish line, there is a, a unique animal there called the the key deer. And the key deer is a deer, but it's about the size of a large dog. Very, very small deer. And, um, very, very frequently as you pass through big pine key, you'll see the deer. And, um, so that's very cool. But you know, other than that, no, nothing too scary in the Keys, typically.
0: That's Are you throwing fun. chum in? Are you throwing chum in to get the sharks all whipped <laughs> up in frenzy and Not make this exciting runners, race?
1: We, we throw them in. Otherwise, <laughs> oh. it, it, it.
0: <laughs> that, that would be me, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you want to be middle dead. of be back, back of the pack. In that race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have a 100% finisher rate. I don't know why, but... <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah. people are afraid be afraid <laughs>
0: <laughs> Andrea I'll throw it to you you're you're asking great questions
2: well so everyone has their race that I mean I know we've spoken lovingly on bad water but as as far as other races that you've run throughout time Bob what else would you tell people they need to put on their bucket list or work towards running oh
1: boy um That's a tough one. I I would start with saying to people to to, if they're and I get this question a lot. What what race should I do first? You know where do I start? And I would say that you try to start uh, with a race that you can train for. So for example, um, as I have said, I lived here in South Florida. That's flat. There are no trails or no hills basically. So you probably don't want to start with hard rock if you can get in. Right. Right. You know what. And or if you can only tr- run on roads, well, try to find a road race or a fixed time race that's on a track or a an oval of some kind. Uh, get a feel for the whole thing before you get too far out of your element. Unless you can go somewhere and train, um, and then that's fine. But the point is, try to try to pick a race where you can train for you know what what it is you you're, you're able to train for. So it's my really my first good advice hundred miler was Rocky Raccoon, which I wound up doing a couple of additional times. And I really like the race. And it's a trail race, of course, but it's relatively flat. Certainly not flat, but it's relatively flat. And as I read, it's been a few years now, but it is not the most technical of races. It's not the rootiest and rockiest. Uh, Plenty of that, of course, there always is, but it's not the worst. So I can sort of train for that. And so for somebody who's a flatlander like I am, uh, a race like Rocky Raccoon, and I'll give you another example in a minute, is uh, is, is really a good, good way to go. Uh, another trail race that I love and I've run three times is Havelina. And Havelina mm-hmm. is out of, you know, of Scottsdale. Scott and again, it's relatively flat. It's rolling, but you're not running up and down a lot of steep mountains. And so it's something I can more or less train for and uh, not make a total fool of myself out there. And I love that. i finished the race three times. I really like the race. And highly recommend a race like that. So pick a race that you where you can train for the elements. If you live in the mountains, hey, go for it, you know. But that would be my that would be my advice.
2: No, I think that's really good advice. I mean, everyone has bucket lists and things that they'd like to get to, and everyone's journey is so different. Yeah. But you want you want to set yourself up for success. So, you know, being able to train in similar conditions is definitely key. So do you Not have a bucket list item that you haven't hit yet that you're like, oh, man, I if I could do this one? Uh,
1: you know, I know it's weird to say, but the answer is right now, I really don't. Other than going back to Badwater, I really want to do that. Um, and kind of in the back of my mind is um, an offshoot of, Bad, of, excuse me, of Brazil 135. And Brazil 135 is, is a really interesting race of, again, 135 miles more or less. Uh, it's, it's more
2: don't don't tell them more or less it's yeah. more than 135
1: yeah, a little more so and it's run on a portion of what's called the Camino de Fe the path of faith which is a pilgrimage route in Brazil similar to the one in Spain and the one in Portugal
2: uh-huh.
0: and the
1: whole Camino is uh oh, it's over 500 miles long now uh, you may know um uh David Green and Amy Costa who are two actually Florida ultra runners who have Not only done Brazil 135 multiple times, but they've done the Camino de Fe multiple times, incorporating the race into that overall 500 miles. And I may not be quite right on the miles. That's cool. One of the things that I kind of have in the back of my mind, uh, having done the 135, is to go back and do that much longer non-race, but incorporate the race into that experience. So that one kind of is in the back of my mind. We'll see.
0: I mean, along the same lines, do you have any other, not FKTs, but other non—you know—traditional races that pique your interest, like the AT or the Colorado Trail? Here is absolutely stunningly beautiful. Well, Arizona. Uh,
1: a couple of things with that are. First of all, I one of the things I love doing, one of the types of races I love doing. We haven't talked about are stage races. Well. Marathon de Sable is a stage race, okay? So you're running 160 miles roughly over seven days, and you're carrying all your food and gear on your back for that entire time, and all you're getting fed is water. You can carry all that. So you you do a stage or a certain number of miles each race, running from point A to point B, and you live in a tent with seven or eight other people for the night. You get up the next morning, you run from point B to point C, and so on. So I, I, I love stage races. Uh, I've done Grand to Grand out in the southwest, the Grand Canyon out to the Grand Staircase in Utah, which is a spectacular event. Um, Trans Rockies, which is a really more of a social event, but I absolutely love Trans Rockies. I love those kinds of races. So looking for other uh, uh, stage races certainly is a possibility. But, one of, but, a, but to answer your question specifically, a non-race, David Green, who I mentioned a minute ago in connection with Brazil happens to be running across the United States right now. Uh, he's in Wyoming, having left Jacksonville Beach a while back, and he's heading for Stinson Beach near San Francisco. And David has come up with an idea of running uh, a trail that apparently I, I had never heard of in Israel from the very north to the very south. It's about 600 miles. So that would be, um, hmm. you know, an Appalachian Trail kind of race uh, in a very different part of the world. Um, I've never yeah. been to Israel. Guy, Maybe, the tra-
2: the the planning for that
1: well it would take some but you know he's really good at that and uh, he's kind of the leader of the band when it comes to those kinds of things and especially with his experience now running across the country and the preparation that that takes if that came together and he was leading it um i would probably tag along i'd really like to do do that so yeah um it, it doesn't have to be a formal race to be a very exciting adventure and that would be one example
0: I keep finding myself hanging out with people that run across states, countries.
2: It's totally yeah, on my like, bucket, lick, like, bucket oh, list. I want to run do... across. I want to run across the country. Do you guys are I, like. I feel like I want to wait until my daughter's, you know, maybe graduated before I oh. do that. You know, it's a, just,
1: it's a commitment. You're out there for months. I mean, it, we, we should really team
0: just... up. We, we should team up eventually because the resources could be somewhat centralized, but we definitely have a gap at some point.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, Bob, no. you should do that too. I, I'm sorry. You I missed in? that. I missed the question. I'm sorry. Are, are you in? We're all running across the U S. <laughs> yeah. We're, no. we're
2: going to do it. <laughs> be, not I'll 2022. Cause that we already have your tag phrase right. for bad water. <laughs>
0: no, we'll, we'll, we'll route it. We'll route it through. So we do bad water as we are. Why,
1: why not? I'll be glad to crew for you guys. How's that? Count me in for crew. I'll do
2: that. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about uh, spouses because, you know, as an ultra runner and as I've talked to other ultra runners, the the question always comes up, you know, how are you able to find the time to do this and still keep the peace at home? Um, And so, you know, Bob, you, I I look at my husband, I go, you knew I was crazy when you married me. So like, oh, (laughs) kind of what you get. Right. But, but your crazy. Didn't really kick in until much later. So... How has that trans- transition been for your wife as you've, you know, jumped straight into the ultra running world um, and, and how, what's that balance like for you?
1: I'll tell you, I'm, I'm absolutely blessed with the greatest supporter in the whole world and Suzanne is not a runner. She's not an adventurous type, um, but totally gets that I am and totally gets it and I could not have a bigger supporter. So the only thing she asks as I walk out the door and she kisses me goodbye is to try to come back in one piece if you possibly can, right? But you know, one of the we've been married 42 years, and um, one of the great things about our marriage, I think, one of the things that has allowed it to work so well is I do some of my things, she does some of hers, and then we do our stuff together. So we uh, we have different interests in that respect, but I'm completely supportive of what she does and vice versa. So. Yeah, I've been really lucky in that respect, as I said. And uh, when I go off somewhere, uh, I know she's got my back. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's great. Well, and, and she has
2: traveled with you to some of these places. Yeah, I mean, she has. She when did, we were I, in she, China, she, she came out for that. And that was right. incredible.
1: But I had a fight with her to come to China. I mean, no, normally. You did? Normally, well, not to go to China because it was a race, okay? She, okay. That's, that's exactly. not her thing. She doesn't really enjoy yeah. Sitting there watching me go by and driving 40 miles up the road to see me go by again or pick the race, and you know, it's just not what she enjoys doing. And, uh, give you an example, Keys 100 among the many other things that over the years we've had at aid stations is a lot of homemade food. Guess who's made it all? Suzanne has, but she doesn't get yeah. out to Keys 100 because she doesn't enjoy the race, she likes. She's okay preparing food for it, but she doesn't want to be the person at the aid station handing
0: it Ah, okay. I'm going to introduce Chrissy to her because (laughs) I'm literally right now, like yesterday, talking about family trip to Chamonix for like two weeks next year. Chrissy's comment, I'd love to go on a European vacation as a family, but I don't want to have to involve a race. So it's always like a balance in... I've messed up that balance before the triple crown of 200s. I went way too running over family. And I would say since COVID, I've gone way more family than training. So it's always like kind of a balance for me. I mess it up a lot, honestly. Um, But I couldn't relate more to, hey, let's go to some amazing place, which I would not have ever picked out myself unless this race took me there, like I want to include you in this amazing new location with amazing people and food and everything. Um, But I I mean, to her point, I mean, I could be just doing it as a family vacation, as opposed to selfishly wanting to do a race there. Also that's, I I have a ticket into UTMB. It's like, that's not going to happen very often. Uh, So it's a, it's hard, but... Yeah,
1: well, and especially with younger kids at home. You know, our kids are grown, so we don't have that, that issue. I mean, I get that, but it's also not unreasonable to... Uh, espe- if the race is two or three days and you're going to be gone for two weeks, you know, it, uh, and the place... And she has yeah. something she can keep herself busy with and enjoy for the two or three days you're out there running. Um, I, an example would be Bald Head Island. So Suzanne came one year when I ran Cape Fear, ran... ran uh, uh, Badwater Cape Fear, and she, uh few years ago, she was a big bird watcher, and she's a nature lover, and you know most of that island is a preserve, so she was able to really enjoy the place without having to worry about me running back and forth up and down the beach like a fool. So, you know, mm-hmm. that that was a combination of race and vacation that worked fine, and ultimately, of course, that China experience was the most incredible experience of my life, and. For a number of reasons, and she felt exactly the same way. But initially, her first reaction was, "You're going there to race. I don't, want, you know, I don't want to sit there and have to watch you, you know, run around in circles like a fool." So. Right.
2: Well, I mean, she lucked out because that race didn't allow for crew, so she was off the hook. You know what <laughs> well, I mean? Yeah. So it wasn't. You couldn't even say, "Well, come visit me," because they really didn't want people, you know, coming out to to the aid stations anyway. But
1: right. But as you um, well know, because you you were there, it was the most amazing historic. <laughs> place that you could ever imagine and uh you know she, she had an incredible time and we, we before before, during and after. So yeah, it worked out fine. I would I think it's just um you, now that now that you have the balance, uh if anything, not on running, but kind of shifting back towards some sense of equilibrium, you know, bring up the
0: subject again. <laughs> <laughs> can, can I Bob
2: center. Becker told me
0: Can I tell you, Bob, in all honesty, I told her about keys and she was sincerely excited to go to the keys there you go and and she's like we're gonna leave the kids in tampa with my parents although my dad might do the race also um how
2: cool is that
0: yeah he he likes the uh the team event that you put on bob but chrissy is excited for the keys so like we'll work out the shamany thing later but
1: Hey, uh, As of
0: now, the keys. Yeah.
1: If, if she doesn't go to Chamonix, I'll, I'll watch her. I'll go to Chamonix with you and um, <laughs> no problem at all. Just sign me up. Okay? All right. yeah.
0: and, Andrea, how do you balance this? Because you have kids too. You go through yeah. the same thing. You, you can claim that you've been a runner maybe for longer in your, in your marriage, but how do you handle that?
2: Um, at, the, at the end of each year, you know, in lottery season, because I feel like, you know, all the major lotteries for the next year happen near the, the last quarter of the year. So I sit down with my husband and I say, okay, Brian, these are the races that I, you know, have qualified for lotteries and I would like to enter them. And then we kind of go through the odds of what it would look like if I got into one or what if I got into all of them. And, you know, kind of determine which ones make the most sense to enter, um, you know, because obviously nothing's even an option until you even get into certain races, right? So, you know, but that but that can be a touchy subject because, you know, then you get into Western States and then you're like, but I'd really like to additionally do the Grand Slam of Ultra and then, you know, oh my gosh, and, you know, or, you know, oh, I get into... Um, you know, UTMB, but also I'd like to run Vol State in the same year. It's like, and and then how are you going to pay for it? And, you know, but so I, I don't know that I've quite figured out the balance because where he's really good at being like, yeah, yeah, I'm into this plan. It looks good on paper until you're in the throes of it. And then when yeah. you're gone and you're doing the travel and you're leaving the house with the, with the chores and with the kids and with the, the stuff, that's where it becomes a little less tolerable, you know? And so I've gone away to some races and come home to really warm reception. And then I've gone away to races and come home to like, kind of, he's being an asshole because he's pissed off that he had to deal with everything while I was gone. And it's like, but you agreed to this, but yeah, but that was like eight months ago.
0: Not Uh, only race costs, but then it's like the couple's therapy costs. And then it's like, (laughs) ah, this ultra running. (laughs) It's an yeah. expensive sport.
2: So, I, you know, I, I think like Bob, my husband, he's he likes to dirt bike ride. So I, I try to be very respectful of, you know, not just slamming him with, oh, and now I'm going away this weekend for this race or that race. And, and try to be really respectful about that and giving him fair and equal time to do his, you know, explore his passion. Um, you know, but I don't know that I don't know that I will ever really figure out what that true balance is. I think it's always kind of, you know, walking on... On ice, you know. Sometimes. Well,
1: once once you're an empty nester, it does it does get easier, though. I mean, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, when we when we down when we downsized to a condo, uh, made it even easier because we can just turn the key and go. I don't have to worry about cutting oh, the grass. Man. I mean, there are those factors that, right, you know, at, at this stage in my life, at least, make it a little easier. So,
0: luckily, I only have a three year old and a six year old, so. It's going to be yeah. a while. But. Well,
2: my son, my son's 26. I have a 26-year-old man child. Hope. And then my daughter's 14, so I have only, you know, like four more years to, you know, really embrace her being around before she decides to leave, so. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that the balance is, is uh, ever guaranteed. I think it, you know, every year is so different. You, know,
1: you have to work at it. It's a good no point. question about it, yeah.
0: Are the are all our relationships balanced based upon lotteries? That's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> is that
2: how you chose your wife? Or is
0: it, that your it was just a lottery? It was, just, it was like a yeah roulette wheel. Um, <laughs> and you
2: lucked out. No, you won big no. time. <laughs> I know.
0: I, I'm very fortunate. Um, Andrew, what else did you have for Bob? Because you you've asked some really great questions. Um, Bob, do you have questions for Andrea? Also, like we could throw that in. Uh, I, only no had, I only had one more. Here. I only
2: had one more question for Bob because he does come. His family is known. He has a, an also famous niece in the yeah. running world, um, Kara Goucher, right? And Actually. so I was I was curious when you decided to get into running, if she was someone that you consulted with about, um, you know, your running or, you know, what that looked like. Like, does she, does she come to you for advice? Do you go to her for advice?
1: Uh, well, I'm going to, let me, let me set the record a little bit straight. Okay. Actually, her husband, Adam, who is also an Olympian is my nephew.
2: <laughs> oh, and he, okay. Sister. So yeah. got Adam's it. Okay. The,
1: the, the, the nephew and she's my niece in law, if you will. Got it. Um, and we, you know, we talked, Frequently, uh, and in the early days, yeah, I did talk to Adam for advice. This, you know, a way back, ways back now. Um, I think before they were ever married. But um,
2: I mean, because yeah, not all of us have, you know, an Olympian family member that we're like, oh, I yeah, can just
1: it's, consult. It's it's pretty stellar, and uh, and you know, as an aside, I'm so proud of her. If you saw her calling the long races of the Olympics as a rookie, she was amazing. So. She's just a great person. Really, they both are. But, yeah, so, yeah, I, I've uh, more, than, more than once asked them. I think the last device I asked her for was uh, in, in June. Uh, I went out to Colorado, uh, to near in the Boulder area, to, for my granddaughter's high school graduation party. Okay, And while I was out there, I figured, well, I'm going to see if I can get some mountain training in, uh, because there will be some hills at Badwater. Why not? So I actually called her and said, okay, give me some recommendations in the Boulder area where I can go train. And she she wound up, actually, I talked to both of them independently, and they both told me about the same trail where I should go run. So, so yeah, occasionally I'll ask for that kind of advice or certain things if I have an injury or, you know, something's coming on. But um, generally speaking... Uh, you know, they are at so many levels above where I would ever hope to be in my life
0: that uh, I don't want to bother them too much. Basically, They're
1: clothes.
2: not calling you for advice, Bob. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Come on now.
1: <laughs> Do they no, no, no.
0: wear their medals during like Christmas family events or anything weird? Yeah, well, you can be honest. <laughs> you can be honest. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now it's all good I, we, the problem of course with COVID I haven't seen much of the family in the last two years and yeah. my, I have three kids and they're all scattered one's in New York one's in San Diego and then my middle daughter is in Boulder uh, so I don't get out there to see them that often and, uh, and actually when I was out there in June they, were, they weren't they were there they were in Minnesota where Kara's oh my family gosh. is so you know it's just uh, mm-hmm. two cool figure. you know two ships passing in the night kind of thing so when we do see each other we love each other's company we have a great time and We actually, sometimes we'll actually, you know, run a couple of miles together. Just, well, they're, they're hopping on one leg and I'm running hard, but you know, it's, uh, it's really fun to have, you know, that kind of expertise and in the sport, in the family. And if I ever do have a question, I know I can call them and ask them.
0: So I have one, one last question for Bob. If there's one aspect of the Keys 100 that no one really appreciates or no one gets You've done this so many times, like you know this like the back of your hand. What don't people truly appreciate about this amazing race that you put on in the keys? Wow.
1: You know, we've done this will be our fourteenth year coming up, so um we've had a lot of experience and a lot of feedback and i d I don't know that there's a uh, any one thing that uh I haven't shared with others or that they haven't shared with me, but I would say two very two very different responses. Um, one is how beautiful the Keys are. And once you get about 20, 25 miles into the race, it really opens up and the water is, I mean, the views are incredible. It's, it's beautiful. The other thing is that the heat is always the fa- is almost always the factor when somebody doesn't finish. They underestimate the heat down there. And when I say the heat, it's not really so much the temperature, but it's a combination of the temperature and the humidity and the intensity of the sun—you're pretty far south, so you want to cover up. You know, you want to wear a hat. I, I, I see mostly guys out there running without a shirt, and women running with just a sports bra. I think, I, you know, for me that's a mistake. So, anyway, I, you want to uh, stay ahead of the heat. Start using ice early. Um, don't overhydrate, but stay well hydrated and make sure you're taking your electrolytes—all the things you need to do in a race. But. Just be really cognizant of the heat in that race, and, you, and you'll and you be fine. Stay a little bit ahead of it, and you'll be good to go.
0: I'm excited to experience it myself, truly. Well, uh, I know I've been that one's long. been on my bucket
2: list for years, and it always falls right around my grand finale for the kids that I coach when they run their finale marathon. It's always like right then. I was like, oh. Right. You
1: know, for a lot of people, it's uh, like, you know, Harvey Lewis would love to come down and run the race, but it's the last week of school for him. He's got exams Right, right. Yeah. So it's it's, it's generally the week after, it's the third Saturday in May, the week after Mother's Day typically, and it doesn't always work for everybody. But um, fortunately this year, we expect to be able to return the social side of the race, which is
0: really a lot of fun. I
1: mean, uh, the finish line alone, it's a road race, but the last hundred feet of it is on the sand. We finish on Higgs Beach right on the ocean with a 40 by 80 foot tent where we're flipping burgers. And uh, I'll give you an idea. Two years ago, we went through, and you know about a thousand people do the race. So we went through 1,500 burgers, 800 pieces of fried chicken, 60 cases of beer. It's just a great place to hang out swap stories and meet your friends and just a little R&R after the race. And then on Sunday, we have an awards ceremony there, a program there, live music. I mean, it's just a fun place to be. Key West is great anyhow. So yeah, I hope we'll be able to do that next May. We couldn't this year, but, uh, that's an important part of the race experience too. And, um, I hope again, we'll be good to go next, next May. Wait,
0: when you finish, do you get a margarita too? Like, or <laughs> you, get, you get
1: a cold beer, but the margaritas aren't very far away Rob. So
0: is Jimmy Buffett, <laughs> is Jimmy Buffett playing on Sunday again? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Jimmy Buffett wannabe.
2: <laughs> that works.
0: And, Exactly. Andrew, you're the professional announcer. I'll let you close us out here. And I've really, truly enjoyed this conversation. Thanks, Rob. Looking forward yes. to seeing you, May, by the way. Thank so you.
2: thank you, everyone, for joining us at Training for Ultra with Bob Becker. If Bob can do it, anybody can do it.
0: True. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you all.
2: Thanks. Okay, so we we're so, done but we're not done because we yeah, have questions for Rob. Back. I need to know what well, happened at Leadville, Rob. What happened at Leadville? Well, first
0: of all, I'll throw in the keys. 100 is Bob said 80% like bike paths and not roads. So and he just warned 7-mile bridge. Yeah. That's all. I I he made a very serious face talking about 7-mile bridge. So now, when you're up, you're, About um, the
2: beauty of Seven Mile Bridge, I thought. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's
1: great. But it is seven miles and it's hot. So you want to, don't carry just one bottle. You want to carry plenty of fluid with you. Now, we cone Seven Mile Bridge, right? So certainly traffic knows you're there. It's, and that's certainly part of it. But my point was that the vast majority of the race, 80% of it, you're on parallel pedestrian bridges or bike paths or service roads, not on the actual road itself. So.
0: That's good. That's, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Okay. So, Leadville. Um, Need to hear about it. I didn't have a great race. It started off. So, I did the bike on Saturday. I made it like 87 miles before realizing I was going to miss the Leadman cutoff. And so, I was like, well, Leadville 100 is my dream race run. I'm not going to destroy myself, miss the cutoff because just mathematically I can't get in. Uh, so I was trying to save myself enough for a decent dream race, 100. And I just felt pretty much flat the whole race. I went out not aggressively because the cutoffs at that race are actually fairly aggressive, just yep. given climbing Hope Pass and then going down the back. It's not a quick process. Like even even Anton and those like yeah, you know, some of the legendary runners they're not they're not dropping 10 minute miles there, no. that's for sure. So, it was like it was a decent race, but the hydration factor was playing into a lot of what was going on. I was taking so many salt pills that I became paranoid I was taking too many salt pills. But then actually became dehydrated and cramping a little bit.
2: Ooh. But So now, did, the... you, did you DNF after Hope Pass the second time? You were at like 60? No. Or...
0: So I was going up Hope Pass. And for background, that's four miles. Each mile has about 800 feet of gain in it. So those are just grinding out like UTMB-like miles. And then you almost get to the top. They have an aid station with llamas really it's quite an amazing feat that they even have that and then it's like another just about a mile up to the actual uh hope pass and then you go drop down and it's like a very very sharp three mile descent and my quads were feeling it at the very very top of hope pass to the point where it was somewhat dehydration but it was also almost doing a hundred miles of biking the previous week Mm -hmm. and the 10 K that I did. So my quads were feeling it. They weren't functioning like they should have. And then you throw in, I got guys that think they're killing trying to pass me, but they're like middle back of the pack guys. Like, like maybe I would have been that person. I don't know if I was feeling good, but then you're also pulling over. It's, it's tight. Single track. You have people coming up, ascending, struggling, but you still, you feel bad for them. So you're getting out of their way. And between all of that, the combination of that, there was sharp granite chunks everywhere. And so I don't have the, not hand and eye, foot and eye coordination that I'm used to. And I basically just step on like a super sharp piece of granite. And so the far side of my foot, like where, Kind of my little toe goes like directly down in the middle of my foot. Um, just got like smashed to the point where every foot strike after that was like a cute pain. Jeez. To the point where I had to like gimp into the aid station for, I think it was like three or four miles. And we're talking like 30 minute miles at best type pace. I just couldn't run. And then I realized like, well, even if I go up, hope pass again, come back down. If I can't even run through the flats, like I'm, it just doesn't make sense anymore. So right. it was a really tough choice. I didn't want to destroy my foot. If, if there was some injury that could have gotten really bad and like permanently injured the bottom of my foot, uh, I just, it wasn't worth it at that point. I knew well what I had to do in terms of times and it just wasn't in in it for me that day so I I don't know what to say
2: that's one thing I try to explain to people about Leadville is the first part, the first half of the course, those cutoffs are fairly aggressive so you want to go out aggressive enough to not miss cutoffs but not so aggressive that you're burning yourself out that you don't have Mm -hmm. the energy but Going up and over Hope Pass when you're on the descent, especially if you're a mid-to-backpacker, which I am, you have everyone else that's on their ascent. They're coming back up facing you, and you are trying to move over because also etiquette is I'm further back in the race, so they they do have some right of way. And that just slows you down. So even if you're feeling good, you, you you're can't still get in a you can't, you can't get, get in, in a,
0: a flow or no rhythm. Good,
2: there's no good rhythm. Like until, the one time I, yeah, yeah, and that that makes it really hard. And then it's demoralizing when you get to the bottom that now you have to turn and go back up and over and do it again. So if you've had any kind of struggle like you have, you you are so fresh from that band aid. How do you get back up and over that thing?
0: You know, and my, then- my issue was, so I trained for the hundred mile bike. I can, I can do a hundred miles on my bike. Any, any day of the week I can go do a hundred miles. I trained for the vert. I did not train for the pace of the bike to do that. Those cutoffs without, mm-hmm. and I, I swear to God, I was saying this before I found out that someone killed, died, Doing that exact bike race last week, I was saying I'm not willing to go 45 miles an hour over some of this real sketch rock down Columbine, down Powerline. Like, I'm just not a professional, semi professional biker. Like, I cyclist, I can't do that without risking my life. I'm not willing to do that. And so, that was the decision I was making in my head. I was thinking about my two kids at home when I'm going down Columbine and I was hitting my, I was tapping my brakes more as being passed by quite a few people. And I probably, I mean, that's what cost me that race, but not knowing how to pace that race then affected my pace for the next race.
2: Yeah, because it's only only a week later. I mean, lead
0: man stretched me thin and I ended up failing on both sides, which I mean, it, it makes me more thankful for having finished the Triple Crown of 200s. Because right. now I'm realizing just how fortunate I was to nail all the aspects. But I think it's sobering finding out that someone didn't make it home to their family. Like, that's, that's hard to comprehend. I still can't get my head around the fact that I was mountain biking with someone that didn't go home that day. So... It's all in perspective. It sucks DNFing, but there's a lot worse things that could have happened.
2: Absolutely. Without a doubt. And, you know, like you said before we even jumped on this call to begin with, yeah, getting into Leadville is going to be not the easiest, you know? I mean, but you can still apply to get back into Leadville, that you have that option, and that's all that matters.
0: Totally. And, I mean, I'll finish with I was talking to someone that's done the race like six times, they finished four times, and I was like, you almost need to DNF that race to fully comprehend how to pace yourself to do that race. Because on paper... And I, I did. I a DNF week, in
2: 2013 and finished yeah. in 2016. Yeah.
0: Exactly. It, it's one of those, until you actually do Hope Pass, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> you can't read. You
2: can't. There's nothing you can read. There's nothing I can tell you yeah. that you don't... You have to experience it. Totally. Exactly.
0: Well, I'm so, so sad. Thank you for asking me about it.
2: I'm so sad um because DNFing just sucks, but your um attitude and perspective on it is like right where you, you should be. Yeah. And, I,
0: and Bob, we both had bad DNFs this year, but we're still kicking, we're gonna do it next year. All the grades we'll- do,
2: right? are you even an ultra runner if you haven't dna
0: lessons learned right bob lessons learned and we'll we'll kick it up in 2022 right well you know when you and i
1: talked before the race with that sandstorm so then of course at the start of the race this year we had that wind right in our face the whole time coming you know through the basin and when the last time i finished badwater i did i did the double right and on the way back into that last 18 miles coming down I had that wind in my face coming towards Badwater Basin right so I never ever expected or prepared to have a wind like that with that sand dust blowing in our face at the start and you know how you're out there you know how dehydrating and exhausting it was so the the lesson learned is you gotta be prepared for anything out there and of course it was rain in some spots if I am able to get back in next year, you know, I'm going to, I think I'm going to have a Mack truck full of stuff. To, whatever I'm gonna do. Uh,
0: do you, do you recommend the double? Uh, if you
1: <laughs> yeah, well, there's a certain element of insanity. That's a prerequisite, but I, I'm, you know, I'm glad I did it. It was a wonderful experience. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say do the, do the single first, get up to the top of Whitney and come on back down. Oh. and think about it. But, uh, yeah, you know, there's there's something been, to do, right?
0: To there's been more people into space. There's probably been more people on the moon than than have done the bad water double. Well, that's pretty right? rare. That's pretty amazing. It's, uh, yeah,
1: it's something different. <laughs> I don't think I want to do it again. If if that's the next question. <laughs> <What> <laughs> like? yeah. Well, you know, you never you never see never in this business either, right? And, uh, yeah. yeah.
2: No, that's that's the nail in the coffin. But you're right about the it. The minute you say never, you're signing up, so...
1: Yeah, and, uh, I, you know, you I asked did. me earlier about
0: bucket bad list, water.
1: and I don't really have a big bucket list at all, because generally I'll run a race because somebody says to me, hey, I'm doing or thinking about doing such and such a race, and it sounds like it would be a great fit or a great experience or a place I've never been, and that becomes the next race I want to do. I mean, really, that's kind of it, so...
0: Um, yeah, which is also
1: kind of fun because you never know what, what's over that next hill, right? So
2: Right, So true. I,
0: I unfortunately talked to Harvey Lewis about Arrowhead 135 being like one of the coldest and then Badwater 135 yeah. being one of the hottest yeah. and how perfectly symmetrical that concept is in my head. Oh, I can't hang Rob, out with guys like nother, Harvey Lewis. That's a whole other podcast and
2: because <laughs> I've been, you know, dipping my toe in the idea of more and more of these winter races. And so, um, yeah, we just.
0: There you go. Yeah.
2: To Scobia.
1: Well, I think if it has the number 135 in it, you want to stay away from it, probably.
0: You
2: know. <laughs> <laughs> or not. Or not. <laughs> oh,
0: man. Well, thank you guys. Yeah, yeah I, well, I really hey, appreciated you know, that.
2: I was rooting for you. Still rooting for you. Yeah,
0: next time. You'll get
2: up. back there when the timing is right.
0: I had the best best support in the whole world. I've never had more people reach out uh, during the race or, or virtually. It was spectacular. I couldn't be more thankful. And uh, next time I'll finish. And so that was episode 186. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Big shout out to my co-host, Andrea, on this episode. She did an awesome job. Uh, big shout out to Bob thank you for taking so much of your time I can't wait to experience the Keys 100 next year just hope you guys enjoyed this episode big shout out to the show sponsors John Wayne Cancer Foundation and their Grit Series Tannery Outdoors definitely check them out some very high quality products along with Exoskin shout out to you Patreon supporters most importantly don't forget to enjoy your training Have a great week. Thanks.